Welcome to Life Talks with Stephen and Pam. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you came into our living room. We can sit here together or maybe on your way to work, on the way to school or running. I'm not really sure where you are, but we're so glad that we're together. Yes. Honey, would you mind praying for today? Precious Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. And thank you, Lord, for crowning us with everlasting joy. That's what's on our heads. And we obtain gladness and joy, according to Isaiah 51, 11, as we indulge in your word. Father, we're just so grateful for the gift of your word, for the privilege we have of being filled and abiding in your word right now. And Lord, we just ask that you breathe the word of God into our heart. Holy Spirit, welcome. Be our helper, our advocate, our standby, our strengthener, and breathe this word into our heart, giving us revelation and unfolding this treasure map as we get into the gold, the refined gold of your word in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Proverbs 14, right, Pam? That's right. Proverbs 14, verse 1. Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And of course, again, I believe this is the same thing with men. Every wise man, he's building his life. Every wise woman is building her life. But the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. We are complicit in either the construction and the building of our life or the tearing down of it. Devils look for your agreement to destroy your life. Angels, forces of angelic squadrons, look for your agreement with the Word of God to be activated in your life. Isn't that yes, good, Pam? That's so One way or the other, angelic forces are looking for your agreement with the Word mm-hmm. so that they can be judiciously released on behalf of God's goodness to be activated in your life. But the same thing with demons. Demons are looking for your agreement, you to sign on the dotted line, so to speak, with your words for them to be able to bring destruction and evil forces into your life. I was talking with somebody even yesterday. They're a hairstylist. She deals with a lot of people that come in and talk about the fear in their life and having a hard time to sleep, but how much they just love watching horror movies and reading Stephen King stories and all that kind of stuff. She's like scratching her head. What in the world? Yeah, why don't you sleep? But yeah, you can't sleep without a sun lamp on. (laughs) Right, right. You are the one. A sun lamp? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this way you can get the lights on, plus you can can get a Well, there you are. All different ideas. You know what I was thinking? Stop it. Come on. That was good. That was good. I was you thinking, get a tan while you sleep. <laughs> right. And, you're, and you don't get scared. Um, I wonder if I could patent that idea. Yeah, Maybe somebody, you know, like, lamp. while you're sleeping, get a lovely tan. Yeah. Because she might be burned in the morning, but it'd have to go off at a certain time. You know what I was thinking when you were saying that? We know in the word in Mark 11 that it says, if two or three agree as touching any one thing. It Matthew shall be. 18? Matthew. <laughs> Did I say Mark? Yeah. Matthew 18. Okay. What's Mark 11? That's a Mark 11. One. Well, that's a famous one about Jesus talking. The fig tree, remember? The fig tree dies. Oh, that's and right. And then the disciples are like, how did you do that? Come on, we want to know. And he said, if any man would speak to a tree. Anyway, got go it. On. Okay, Mark. So Matthew 18, so, 19, yeah, you're kinda... talking about the prayer of agreement. Jesus said, if any right. two will agree. So I guess what I'm saying here is piggybacking off of what you just said, set yourself in alignment with what the Lord says, or are you setting yourself in alignment with what the devil says, or two or three agree is touching any one thing, it shall be done. Are we setting ourselves in agreement with God? Or with the enemy. Or with the enemy's lies. And if we do, it shall be done. Yeah. Well, that's why God hates lies. Right. God hates lies because the moment we become involved in lying, mm-hmm. we become partnered with the liar. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's true. He said, he is the father of lies. So the moment you take a lie, you take something that belongs to the devil, and then you welcome him into your life. You become contractually partnered with Satan. In that Ooh, area. Ooh, that's, that's, disgusting. that's disgusting. The moment you watch a horror movie, yeah. guess what? You become contractually involved with evil spirits that have been influencing that director, that producer, that writer. So you open up your life to all that ugliness. And this is why the Word of God says in Philippians 4 verse 8, it says, Therefore, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is beautiful and brings peace, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, the Amplified says, think on, mm. center your mind on, and implant it in your heart. we got to meditate on that kind of Filter. stuff. Filter. Filter yeah. what you watch. Again, I go back to what you said. 
What you look at and listen to determines what you believe. And what you believe masters all your choices, and your choices end up being the sum outcome of your life, right? right? So That's so good. Number two, he who walks in uprightness reverently and worshipfully honors and fears the Lord, but he who is contrary and devious in his ways despises him. I like to say it like this. Whoever walks in uprightness with reverence and fear and awe of the Lord in his way is a true worshiper, but he who is contrary and devious in his ways despises him. So I go back to what I say a lot of times because I'm a worship leader and for years I've sung and written songs, tools that I know God uses to encourage people in hard times and building up their faith, filling their mouth with words of life to sing and confess. But if we are not walking in honor and in the rightness of God, in the wisdom, the understanding of who He is, looking to Him, trusting in Him, we are not true worshipers. If we are contrary and devious in our ways, it doesn't say in our singing, in our playing, but it says if we walk contrary and we're devious to His way of thinking and doing things, we're actually despising Him. So we can lead 10,000 people before the Lord in worship. You might be singing all the right songs, but it says that if you're walking contrary, so what's that mean? It means, let's say you're a worship leader and you're singing all the right songs, but you're sleeping with all the wrong women. Right. Or you're being arrogant. Or you're a woman and you're sleeping with all the wrong men. You're not with your husband, but you're with somebody else. It says that you're contrary and you're devious and your life is saying, I despise God. You might be singing, I love love the Lord, but but your your life life is is saying, I actually despise God. And that's why I come back to John 4. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, the day is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit Spirit and and in in truth. truth. It's talking about a judicial alignment of your life that has an outcome that you're not only saying and singing the right words, but you're living the right words. Right. And somebody might say, well, now, Stephen, that sounds a little bit like outside the realm of grace. You know, you're getting a little legalistic. No, no, Galatians makes it clear. Under the law of grace, we are empowered to do what in myself, in myself, I can't be faithful. In myself, I can't be honest and speak the truth. In myself, I steal and I covet and I'm jealous. And in Mm -hmm. myself, I become murderous. But in Christ, I can live the life of Christ. And if I sin and if I fail, God is gracious to forgive me and restore me. The Bible says that a righteous man, a righteous woman falls seven times and rises again. Notice what it doesn't say they get up again. It says they rise again. There's resurrection life on the inside of us. We don't stay in our sin, in that rebellion. We rise unto holiness. That's right. right. Amen. Verse three, in the fool's own mouth is a rod to shame his pride, but the wise men's lips preserve him. So I think, Pam, that just comes back to verse one, what we were talking about. In the fool's mouth is an agreement with the devil to bring atrocities and terrible things into their life. But in the wise man's mouth are words that actually promote preservation. Yeah, protection. Direction, protection, Mm -hmm. leading, helping, prosperity, blessing. In the fool's mouth are words that put holes in his pocket so that any wealth that he does get actually falls out on the ground. Yeah, So so it really comes down to, again, we are the ones with our mouth and with our thinking, we set the barometer and the temperature of our life for either spiritual blessing or spiritual destruction. Right. Number four, where no oxen are, the grain crib is empty, but much increase of crops comes by the strength of the ox. Pam, I kind of like the King James version of that verse where it says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. The King James says, where no oxen are, the crib is is clean. And as a boy, I used to think, you know, isn't it nice to have a stall that's sterile, clean, clinically clean? Yeah. Oh, it looks so nice. But the thing is, there's no increase in your life. As a boy, I would think much increase comes by the strength of the ox. But what they're not saying there is that now the stall has to be cleaned. I mean, right. there's manure. I yeah. mean, there's there's hard... things to be cleaned right. up. There's things to be put in order. There's things. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, for me, this proverb is really good. If you're going to be successful in life, you're going to have to shovel the manure. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. <laughs> right. I said right. stuff. Yeah. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. But that's just part of this proverb where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. But don't let that put a negative attitude in your heart towards increase. 
I think sometimes people can play it safe in life and feel like they're being prudent, but they're not. You know, we're meant to go from glory to glory. Don't be afraid of success and increase. Just like don't be afraid of getting your hands a little dirty to accomplish the great work God's assigned you to. God will give us grace, wisdom, and understanding on how to take out the stuff, how to organize the stuff. Don't just say, well, I'll just sit in my house and do nothing until Jesus comes. Well, and the farmer, not being the farmer doesn't curse the stuff, right? Right. He doesn't like, oh, I hate shoveling manure. What you do is you focus on, oh, I love increase. Right. My fields, right. like this ox is doing some serious work. We're, yeah, we're working true. together. Some good things are happening. So I think don't become spiritually OCD where you have to have your stall so clean that you exile the strength of your life. You exile the oxen That's of your really life. That's really good. You don't want to allow a right desire for order to get so twisted that you obsess and abort the process of increase and success. That's a common trap the enemy uses to have you praying for a miracle, but despising God's process. You know, it's like a growing church should have people that need a lot of help, and that's part of growth. And so as a pastor or as a leader, you don't want to be cursing, oh, these people, if only they didn't need so much help. And if only, you know, you, you right. celebrate the growth. That's true. Right? You celebrate the growth. When your family grows, you get a little baby and look how cute he is. But then stuff comes out the back end that's not so cute. Yep. <laughs> you know, you don't get so caught up with, oh, I just can't take dirty no, diapers. because you love that little baby. You enjoy the little about... baby and his giggles yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That's part of growth. That's right. With growth comes pain. It comes crisis. There's a study that says on the curve of growth is always a guarantee of the crisis of change. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to deal with the crisis of change if we want to grow. And that goes for any area in our life. Don't be alarmed if there is crisis because change always brings crisis. That's right. Yeah. Verse five, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness breathes out falsehoods. Six, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain for his very attitude blinds and deafens himself to true wisdom. But knowledge is easy to him who is teachable and who wants to understand. Boy, this says it all right there. I don't think there's anything more to say. (laughs) Well, yeah, absolutely. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. So it's not that a scoffer doesn't seek wisdom, but he doesn't want to understand it. He says he does. He just wants to put a parable in his mouth, but there's a proverb that even talks about the parable in the mouth of a fool. It can't profit them. You can have the keys to the door. You can have the golden keys that open up the golden door. But if you refuse to get instruction and understanding of how to apply the key to the door, you will forever stand outside going, look at, I've got the golden keys, everybody. And I got the golden keys to the golden door, but you'll never end up getting through the door. And again, the word of God is all about outcome. To exercise the principle of the golden keys of prayer, but without the understanding that the Holy Spirit applies, is to forever be in the exercise of praying, but never coming to an answer. Right. And that's exactly what Paul, the apostle, wrote against, saying, being all about a form of godliness, but denying the power. I've had people, and you have too, come in in your office and say, Pastor Stephen, I'm willing to do anything. You know, like, I really want answers in this area. I really am in a dire state, and I really need your wisdom and help, and I'm willing to follow it. But they say that, but if you give them one tiny little thing to do, they'll, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. They don't show up. They don't do this. They're not willing to follow through with something. So basically, they can say all they want, make themselves feel good. And sometimes we can do that. Well, I'm willing. No, no, no. If your attitude is not willing to change, is deaf to hear true wisdom and understanding on how things could get better and step-by-step areas of how to get change and better, then really you're not teachable. Yeah, it's like somebody coming in your office and, you know, I've had this happen where people are like, well, Pastor Stephen, can you just pray that our family will be blessed financially? Well, I think that's a great request. Pray the scripture, the word of God on them. Pray for wisdom. But then I can't just leave it there. Say amen. And then I'm like, break it down. Hey, hey Fred, I know a person that is an amazing financial counselor and they can give you some good wisdom on basic family principles on managing your finances, investing, taking care of stuff like that. And then it's like you can see their eyes glaze over and they're like, oh, no thanks. I just wanted the prayer. I don't want wisdom. And Pam, this is so important (laughs) to remember. (laughs) Faith is not void of wisdom and wisdom is not void of faith. They perfectly work together. They're in harmony together. You cannot embrace faith and despise wisdom. And you cannot say that you're a man of or a woman of wisdom and ignore faith. That won't work. They work together perfectly in harmony. Verse 7, go from the presence of a foolish and self-confident man 
for you will not find knowledge on his lips. And everybody goes, well, now that sounds reasonable. Go from the presence of a foolish and self-confident man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. Everybody's like, okay, well, I got that. But everybody's got it until they find out that they're related to one of them. And then all of a sudden, the excuses start flowing. Oh, but, but that's Uncle Bob. I mean, he's family. Hey, listen, be like Jesus. Jesus asked this question to the crowd. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? But those who do the will, who practice the will of God. And I think there's ways, you know, that has to be played out individually with God's directions of the Holy Spirit. You're right. Tender, strategic. You don't run for them. I'm leaving you because you're foolish and self-confident. You know, you don't say that. You, you don't, don't say, Pastor Stephen said in Proverbs 14, verse 7, that you're a foolish man, and I am yeah. getting... <laughs> I'm getting out of here, and I'm not even going to go eat at the same table as you. No. But you're talking about consistently hanging out in intimate conversations, asking their advice, different things, you know, going from the presence means you can find ways to honor God's instruction and avoid the dangerous association. You know, casually hanging out with those who are set on talking and thinking foolishness, scorning, ugliness, impurity, everything that's not found in Philippians 4.8. An important thing I've learned is this. There once was a person in our life who worked with us, and even though they were a Christian, they had a habit of scorning. They really indulged in it. And we thought, well, we're going to really rub off on this person. Yeah, we tend to be quite ambitious with that train of thought. We just do things kind, and our confidence is in the Lord, not in us. And, you know, pretty soon I started finding that I was getting sarcastic. So we had to kind of like very sweetly, very discreetly distance ourselves in a real wise way from that person. The final straw was when we were out for a walk and we saw a squirrel and you were getting sarcastic. Look at that stupid squirrel. Something's wrong. I better do something. (laughs) Verse 8. The wisdom, godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, his way of thinking and doing things, of the prudent, those who have foresight for the future, is to understand his way. But a folly of self-confident fools is to deceive. So let me read that without the brackets there. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. So the wisdom of, let's break down prudent, meaning having foresight for the future, the wisdom of those who have foresight for the future, who are considering the future, is to understand, talking about you, your way, is to understand your way. Sometimes people think that to live and walk a life of faith is to accept walking a path without any understanding, just to blindly, well, we're just following the Lord. Who knows what the Lord is going to do? We're just blindly in this week by and by, we'll know it. Right now, we're just looking looking through a glass dimly, and they're pulling all these kind of scriptures out of context to basically make an excuse for not pursuing understanding. Remember, we've already heard from the Word of God. With all you're getting, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. Understanding. The treasure map isn't just about finding the golden door of wisdom. It's about now accessing the golden key of understanding and getting access through the door of wisdom. God hasn't called us to just this nebulous life of walking the path of the Lord. You know, people going, where are you going? Well, I don't know. We're just being led by the Lord. Who knows which way the wind will blow? That's not the word of God. God. Okay, I've got to tell you this little story. You were talking about, you know, well, whatever the Lord leads. I heard a story about this minister and his wife who were going across to Canada and they stopped at the customs asking questions like, how long are you going to be here? The, the guy said, well, just as long as the Lord leads. And I guess the guy thought he was mocking her or something. He goes, well, the Lord isn't leading you here, so you can't come <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like this. And if I remember the story right, didn't he have like a couple of weeks already booked oh, yeah, conferences and things? But just this flippant little statement like, well, we don't know, but the Lord's going to lead us. And it's like, well, you're not coming in And here. that's a prime example <laughs> of not using understanding right. in a situation. Wisdom and understanding. God wants you to have understanding of the path that you're walking yeah, because good. God's called you to be a recruiter and a leader of other people. I don't care what position in your life you're in, doesn't matter what job you do. It doesn't matter how uneducated or overeducated you are. God has called you to be Mm, an influencer of the kingdom of God. And to do that, you need to hold wisdom, but don't hold it in contempt. You need to hold it with a sense of understanding that even moves into knowledge. That means experience where I applied this wisdom principle. I had understanding and here's what I know now. That's good. So you can transfer this to other people who are coming up along in the way and want that kind of encouragement. That's good. Verse 9, fools make a mock of sin, and then guess what happens? And sin mocks the fool. That's a tragic way to live. 
who are its victims, a sin offering made by them only mocks them, bringing them to disappointment and disfavor. But among the upright, there is the favor of God. Wow, that's beautiful. You know, I I feel such compassion and concern for those who experience this, who feel like no matter what they do, they never have favor, but always disappointment and failure. There's so many people that are crying out because they, they can't seem to go forward to get a break, and they feel like they've been permanently labeled as a victim in life. Well, you know, things happen, but it might be because of this, because you're not doing things God's way and it's mocking you. It's sin never a right time you. to mock and don't even mock sin. Don't, no, it's so Don't true. mock people's addictions, people's drunkenness. Don't mock people's rebellion toward God. It's yeah, never funny. No, And biblically, you never mock it. Fools make a mock of That's sin. That's right. And then that sin turns around and ends up mocking the fool. Remember the story of Noah when his one son saw him drunk in his tent laying there naked. Well, that son ended up mocking his father's sin. A curse came on that boy. He was cursed. Yeah. So don't ever mock sin. That's good. Verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. I think that has a lot to do with whether your heart is filled with bitterness or filled with joy. You end up being the one that You own it. You own it. It's either your bitterness to destroy your life, deprive your life of spiritual hydration, or it's your life to enjoy the spiritual hydration from above, the joy of the Lord. I really consider the joy of the Lord spiritual hydration, which helps moisten and strengthen and refresh a person's life. That's so good. Verse 11, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tent of the, of the upright, upright shall flourish. flourish. So, you know, you got the wicked living in a big, beautiful house and it ends up being overthrown, but you've got this little tent of the upright. It will grow and flourish and get stronger. Would you rather live in the tent of the upright or live in a big, wide house of the wicked? No, no, I'm all for strong foundation. I want to live in the tent of the upright. Yes, me too. Here we go to verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but at the end of it is the way of death. I've thought of this proverb a lot, Pam, in that anytime I think to myself, well, you know, this seems right to me. As soon as I think that, this proverb comes up in my heart. Wait a sec. There's a way that seems right to a man. Mm -hmm. It may appear straight before him, but at the end of it, it leads to death. So that's why I never make a move. I never make a decision based on what seems right to me. Yeah. I consult the Lord. I pull a Proverbs 4 and I don't lean on my own understanding, but in all of my ways, I acknowledge him knowing that God will direct our path for success. That's good. All right. Verse 13 says, Even in laughter the heart is sorrowful, and the end of mirth is heaviness and grief. Pam, you know, there's another translation for that verse that says, Even in laughter the scorner has pain in his heart. And the end of that mirth is heaviness. Sometimes people may seem like their life is filled with joy, but laughter is not necessarily Mm -hmm. evidence of joy. When we're talking about joy, we're talking about, like I prayed at the beginning, that Isaiah 55, 11, the joy of the Lord, the everlasting Uh joy. The word says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's something about in Galatians that says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, Mm -hmm. peace. You and I have gone through some very difficult things in our life. When our twins went to be with the Lord prematurely, when we miscarried. And, you know, we've gone through some very difficult times in our life, but we've tapped the joy of the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It says right here, even in laughter, the heart of the scorner has pain in his heart. Sometimes I hear it in people's voices, hear them laughing, get a little bit loaded, a little bit tipsy on alcohol. And they're loud and laughing, but you can feel that it doesn't bring joy. Yeah, you can feel the empty in their soul, in their their heart. And it says the end of that mirth, that almost pretend mm-hmm. fragrance is heaviness. Yeah. You know, grief, it kind of makes yeah. me think of somebody that goes out and they got a party all hours of the night and they're laughing and they're grooving and they're enjoying the sense of just feeling. I got to just let loose. Yeah. But then the next morning, it's payday. The heaviness and grief comes right back oh, in. Oh, man, it's awful. And so, again, we as ministers of the gospel of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the Most High, 
by God. We get to be carriers of the joy of the Lord. We carry the love of God, but we carry the joy of the Lord, which is an everlasting joy. And the word says that that becomes part of us being trees and oaks of righteousness so that we can rebuild the broken walls. We can rebuild the ruined cities, which really is a picture of people's lives without Christ. But we got to be carriers of the joy of the Lord. Yeah, that's so true. And the Lord just downloaded some awesome songs on our worship collection. You got to get this one. It's called, You Crown Me With Joy. Yeah. Really, the Lord had showed us that picture, Him crowning us with His joy and what it means. You've got a whole new teaching on that, crowning with joy. But it was like, you've got to get the song. Even in the morning and nighttime, I'll go down and play it on the piano myself, just as a confession of myself. And I picture myself, the Lord crowning us with His joy and how it comes down from above. It covers us. And then and only then can we really give joy to others, give love to others. You know, Pam, just for our friends who are listening, we just want you to know the reason we make this music accessible, it's not for just a musical experience. And it's not even just for, hey, here's another praise and worship song for you. It's to be an antidote to the pain, an antidote to the grief and the sorrow, because this is how we've experienced in our life in the times of the greatest pain and the hurt and the times when we need healing and healing in our family through tears, we've sung the most joyful expression of sounds because it's an antidote. It's raising up a standard against the enemy who tries to come in. We raise up a standard like a flood and push back the enemy. So for us, this music is all about being a solution and an antidote to the disease. Thank God for his anointing. It literally changes the climate of your mind, will, and emotions and body and the atmosphere around you. Right, because if you think different, you live different. That's right. right. Verse 14. The backslider in heart from God and from fearing and honoring God shall be filled with the fruit of his own ways, but a good man shall be satisfied with the fruit of his actions and his ways with the holy thoughts and actions which his heart prompts and in which he delights. So either way, friends, you're going to be filled with the fruit, fruit of, of your, your own way. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is what the word's saying. So an evil man, he's going to be filled with the fruit of his way. A good man, a righteous woman, is going to be filled with yeah. the fruit of her way. Verse 15, the simpleton believes every word he hears. So I guess that's not good, right? To believe every... Like if you're watching an infomercial, should you believe every word that you hear? You kind of laugh at me because I always like all these little skin, the best and greatest skin care that they have these commercials and I want to buy every single one because somehow I believe... Pam watches that. But I'm not a simpleton. (laughs) (laughs) You are not a simpleton. But it's so funny sometimes just to watch your face. I love watching like a commercial like that. And they're like, we have found this new product in the Amazon, you know, forest. And look at this. And if you take one... One drop of this, this will happen and your skin will do this. And it's like, you're just looking and you got like a big smile on your face. And I get (laughs) such a kick out of that. But I'm learning to be prudent and look and consider well. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's finish. The simpleton believes every word he hears, but the prudent man, the person that's got a little bit of an eye on the future, looks and considers well where he is going, not where he's been. Mm. The prudent man, the prudent woman doesn't spend all of her time looking where she's been, but looking where she's going. Very important principle of life. Keep your eyes out the front window of your car, looking where you're going. It's okay to glance and reflect on where you've been, especially when you're considering God's goodness in your life and even God's forgiveness and mercy. Paul the Apostle, when he reflected on his past, it was all about how good and merciful and forgiving God was. It wasn't about, oh, I'm such a wicked man. He would say, I'm the chiefest among sinners, but he was basically like, I'm a champion of the grace of God. Right, right. (laughs) You know, I know all about the grace of God, how good God, he would say to people, I have wronged no man. Right. What? Wait a sec. I thought you were the one that was leading the charge when they killed Stephen, the famous disciple in the Bible. Yeah. No, he was like, I've wronged no man. He was a champion for God's grace. That's right. 16, a wise man suspects danger and cautiously avoids evil. But the fool bears himself insolently and is presumptuously confident. We should be confident in the Lord, but we should not be presumptuously confident in ourselves, in our own wisdom and understanding, because this is why the word says in Proverbs 3, verse 5, don't lean on your own understanding. Oh, exactly. Say no to self-centered trust. (laughs) Because that's basically the definition, right, of being presumptuous. I've seen a lot of book titles that seem to promote the power of self, but without the Holy Spirit's help. 
always line it up with the full statement. You know, you can put on your fridge, I can do all things. And a lot of people do. And you know, it does make them go forward and succeed in some ways, but we can't do that. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Books are written on confidence. Well, I understand that there's principles and you can talk and there's principles that will make you go forward, but we can never enter into self-confidence. Our confidence comes from getting inside God's way thinking and doing things, knowing that we can be confident, assured that we can always go forward and the fruit will be amazing when we do it God's way. But when we're presumptuously confident in ourself and our own abilities on our own thought process and intellect, well, I know what I'm doing. That sets us up for failure. Pam, that's really good. And let me, if I can, just fold back on the beginning of verse 16, where you read, a wise man suspects danger and cautiously avoids evil. Let me just bring up like Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel did not jump into the lion's den. Oh, that's good. Going like, there's evil and there's danger. I shall jump in there and I will display the Lord's grace upon my life. (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) But you know, that's good. Pam, I love my fellow believers, but sometimes believers, they can just jump into the lion's den thinking, I will showcase the power and the deliverance of the Lord. Jesus didn't even do that in the wilderness when the enemy tempted him to do that. Remember, he said, Psalm 91 says that this and this and this. Why don't you just throw yourself down? the cliff here and the angels will bear you up. And Jesus was like, you don't tempt the Lord God. Oh, I know this is going to help somebody get free today. That's basically get behind me. It is written this and this. And I find sometimes believers are like, you know, hey, they're killing Christians over in this town over here. There's always going to be a few who are looking for a thrill and they're like, we should go there. But is the Holy Spirit telling you to go there? Are you supposed to be there? Are you you being being presumptuous? presumptuous? That's right. Right. You know, we're talking about even in missions. Are you being presumptuous? There were times when Paul was like purposed in himself, I'm going to go into Asia Minor. I'm going to go do this, present the gospel. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbid him. Right. You know, there were times when people wanted to kill Jesus in certain areas. And it says, and they plotted to kill Jesus. And so Jesus left. I think sometimes we forget when we read that, that when people tried to kill Jesus, Jesus didn't go, well, that's what I'm here for, to die for everybody. So I guess I'll just stay. There was a perfect time. He had to finish his work of discipling. And then he had to die on the cross according to God's plan to redeem us. Not so if people are laying a trap for you on the west side of town, and maybe it's in, even in business, they're trying to take you down or they're trying to, you know, somebody's laid a, a trap for you. Here's an idea. Don't go there. Right. <laughs> Don't go there. Like, remember, Daniel was <laughs> thrown so... into the lion's den. He didn't jump into the lion's den. Yeah, that's He good. was thrown in there. Why? Because he was discreetly, quietly practicing his prayer life in his own home. He didn't go out into the town square, get down on his knees and start going, oh God, I'm going to pray in spite of the law. He was behaving as Jesus told his disciples when he warned them about vicious wolves in the world. Daniel was wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And so God saved him from a trap, not an opportunity to tempt God with a religious version of thrill seeking. Yeah, that's good. You want to bungee jump off the Golden Gate Bridge with a Christian t-shirt on? Rock and roll. Just don't deceive yourself into thinking that's a substitute for true obedience that produces lasting fruit. Verse 17, he who foams up quickly and flies into a passion deals foolishly. In other words, don't do that. But then it says, and a man of wicked plots and plans is hated. Let's not foam up quickly and fly into anger, passion, because we deal foolishly. It's funny, we were talking about this uh, a while back. And, you know, you look back even over a year of your life and you never regret holding your tongue, taking a deep breath. And not flying into a word vomit inspired passion and and just yelling at people and getting angry. And Pam, it's not saying that passion is bad. Oh, no, no, no. Harness passion. But see, it says right here, this guy or girl flies into a passion and deals foolishly. So again, passion is a good thing, but you need to not let it master you. You need to to be over and rule it. If you're ruling your passion, harnessing the energy of your passion, then put that into God's calling on your life. Put it into whatever God's tasked you with. And if it's raising your children, put your passion into raising your children. Put your passion
passion into your marriage, but harness it and use it for good. Even your anger. If you get angry about something, don't foam up and fly off the handle. Use your anger to harness it and put it into being passionate about justice and about goodness and use it to energize yourself for good things, not for evil. That's so good. I remember a pastor, a great teacher in one of his books was saying that what makes us cry, what makes us angry, what makes us laugh and joyful, you need to really take note of those things. true. Because it's part of your calling that you're meant to solve a problem. But again, what you just said is so strategic. Don't let that master you. You master that passion. You don't let it just come unhinged and go off on something because you'll always be sorry. That's really good, Pam. 18. The simple acquire folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Oh, I want to always be a person that has foresight for the future. And it says we will be crowned with knowledge. That's good. Isn't that good? 19. The evil men bow before the good and the wicked stand suppliantly at the gates of the uncompromisingly righteous. So you might say, well, now, wait a sec. I know some evil men right now that seem to be administratively the bosses, or they seem to be the ones calling the shots. But that's always a temporary condition. That's right. Evil people gravitate toward being suppliantly at the gates of the uncompromisingly righteous. God's always making things spiritually gravitate toward his just order. And that means that in this verse here, even evil men end up bowing before the good. It makes me think of Joseph's brothers. They were evil in how they treated Joseph. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, little brother, I'm going to steal everything you've got, throw you in a pit. No, wait a second. I think I'll also sell you as a slave. And it took years. At one point, Joseph was the one bowing. Remember? That's they took true. him captive. Mm-hmm. They tied him up, threw him in a hole. In a way, Joseph looked like he was the one bowing before his brothers. But you got to always go to the end of the story. In the great finale, all of Joseph's brothers, the ones who had acted evil and betrayed him. They all bow down before him because it's a spiritual law called reciprocity. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely true, Pam. The great exchange kicked in and reversed the curse. That sure is an encouraging picture for all of us, isn't it? Don't close the book on your amazing story just yet. God has an amazing vindication chapter for you according to Isaiah 54. God has got a promotion in your story that will shock you if you just trust in His Word. Meditate on His law. Oh, I'm believing God for His redemption chapters in our life, and we're believing God that in your life too, because we're in this together. Verse 20. The poor is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Oh, I think we've all seen that situation before. What does that mean, though? I mean, like... Well, of course, when you're poor and you're lacking, the automatic reaction of our carnal nature is to move away from less, isn't it? Have you ever seen a kid that wants the smallest cupcake? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't happen. And think about it. When somebody's rich, it kind of... They might have fake friends, but they... Right, yeah. It's kind of, you know, we've seen it before. When people are really rich or when things are going well with them, suddenly people become magnetized toward them. But it's an interesting phenomenon to observe as you watch in real time the scattering of fair weather friends and all the parasites. It's funny how that magnetic force kind of dwindles and the next thing you know, yeah, I don't have time to go for a coffee with you today. Right. Well, 20. It's kind of the 20 and 21 go together. 21 says, He who despises his neighbor sins against God, his fellow man, and himself. But happy, blessed, blessed and, and fortunate. fortunate. I love that word, happy. And happy, blessed, and fortunate is he who is kind and merciful to the poor. You see, that's part of our calling in life. And that's what Jesus did in his ministry. He practiced mercy. God wants us to be kind and merciful to the poor. I think we should expand and sharpen for accuracy our definition of the poor as well. We think only poor as far as currency. But there is the poor and hurting who have a lack and want hopelessly engraved into the belief system of their heart. It's a state of stuck in failure no matter how full the glass is. And I think we need to be kind and merciful. Oh, absolutely. There's another proverb we're going to come on later that says, he that is generous to the poor or kind to the poor lends to the Mm, Lord. And when you give to the poor, God says, it's like you're lending to me. Isn't that something? It's the kind of thing you would never dream was even possible without God's word. 22. Do they not err who devise evil and wander from the way of life? But loving kindness and mercy, loyalty and faithfulness shall be to those who devise good. 
Woo, woo. I want to say that again. But loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, and faithfulness shall be to those who devise good. You know what? If we want someone to be loving and kind to us, merciful to us, loyal, faithful to us, then we need to devise good and sow that so that we can reap it. What a good planning session that is, right? To be sitting around, let's plan some good here. How do we help our community? How do we help this precious widow? She's struggling right now and her furnace is broke down. Let's have a meeting plan. How can we do this? Do we know somebody in the HVAC industry? Maybe, Jim, you know, you get some extra resources. Maybe you could be involved in this. Can you imagine? It says, this is the harvest on those who devise good. They get loving kindness. They get a harvest of mercy. They get a harvest of loyalty, of faithfulness. I like that harvest. That's good. That's a good harvest. Verse 23, in all labor, there is profit, but idle talk leads only to poverty. You know, you've heard the saying that that's a lot of big talk, Yeah. right? (laughs) Right. But one of the things I love about God's word is it doesn't condone talk without action, Right. but it does approve speaking words of life. Mm -hmm. James says, steering your life with your words. Words are powerful, but talk is cheap. Oh, that's a quotable for sure. There's the duality of that. Right. When you're just talking with no intention of follow through or becoming involved, like James says, faith without works or faith without corresponding action. Words are so important to faith. Your faith is expressed by the seeds of belief in your heart, given life through the words of your mouth. But faith without corresponding action, and sometimes corresponding action is to do nothing. Sometimes corresponding action is to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, I know the challenge of that kind of faith, not trying to fix it myself. But it really comes down to being led by the Holy Spirit. And in this place, in all labor, there is profit, but idle talk. See, it didn't just say, but talk leads only to poverty. It said idle talk. Just sitting around talking. About the problem, but never ever being willing to actually find an answer and walk out that answer. Right. If you're talking about your neighbor being hungry and it's like, oh, isn't that too bad? He's just, boy, he's over there. He's just so hungry. But it never moves you to the place where (laughs) you pray for him and then let's make a casserole for him. Let's, Let's go out and buy some takeout food for him. Let's Let's turn this into something. I mean, at the very least, let's bake some cookies and encourage them. Right, exactly. 24, the crown of the wise is their wealth of wisdom, but the foolishness of self-confident fools is nothing but folly. The crown of the wise is their wealth of wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? The very expression of your authority. Psalm 8 verse 5 says that God has crowned us with honor and glory. And it says here, the crown of the wise is their wealth of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Not their wealth of money, their wealth of wisdom. But the foolishness of fools is nothing but folly. Verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives. This is how you know a truthful witness. They save lives. But a deceitful witness speaks lies. So again, back to the beginning of this chapter, when you speak lies, you become a shareholder and you become contractually obligated to the author of lies, which Jesus said, the father of all lies is the devil himself. You don't want to be contractually obligated and in partnership with the father of lies because he's a destroyer, a deceiver, a killer, a murderer. And he says right here that a truthful witness saves lives. Why? Because he's speaking truth. He's authorizing truth and therefore, in contract, moving the angelic forces because angels can move on the part of the truth, right? They're not licensed to move on behalf of lies. They can minister according to the word of God spoken or licensed on earth when we authorize the truth. But here we have somebody who's a deceitful witness speaking lies, and he endangers lives. Well, no wonder he endangers lives. He's allowing and he's contractually giving demons and wicked spirits authority to move in his realm of influence. We don't want that. 26, in the reverential and worshipful fear and awe of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children shall always have a place of refuge. Wow, is that beautiful? In the reverential and worshipful fear and awe of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children shall always have a place of refuge. So if you're lacking confidence right now, or if you're feeling like, I don't even have confidence, let alone strong confidence. Well, you know what that tells me? Stephen, get in the presence of God. It says, in the presence of God, in the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord. Man, when I'm in the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, seeing the hand of God, and I'm focused on his hand of protection, direction, provision, then it says, I got strong confidence. 
Well, like right now, I feel anything but confident. Well, get in the presence of God. Well, how do I do that? Well, get some of Pam's worship music, indulging in singing God's praise. Turn off maybe some of those um, horror movies. (laughs) Turn off that junk and get into the presence of God, right? Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. And then we go on again with the worshipful fear of the Lord. What else is it? Verse 27, reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Again, it's protection. It's direction. It's refuge. It's, it's a fountain of life. Sometimes you just get so dehydrated spiritually. You just need that. Oh man, you just need the joy, the fountain of life. Jesus said, if any man come unto me and drink out of his innermost being will flow rivers. rivers. Mm-hmm. I got to drink Jesus. I got to get into the word and drink that fountain of life. Well, how do I do that? In the reverential awe and worship of my God. Verse 28. In a multitude of people is the king's glory, but in a lack of people is the prince's ruin. You know, I'm a big advocate of godly context, and in the multitude of people is the king's glory. I don't think it's just any people. I think it's assignment. Context mm-hmm. is everything to do about assignment. When you're with the right people and you're in a multitude of people, for me, it's evidence of the king's glory. But it says here, but in the lack of people, in the lack, you may be a business owner, in the lack of customers, you know that that is the business owner's ruin. Right. So God knows this, right? <laughs> And God is a God of context. So go to this verse, go to this truth, and believe the Lord. Trust in the Lord to help you with context. You may be a pastor and say, oh my goodness, Stephen, we've lost 15% in the last couple of months. God knows this. Go to the Word of God. Yeah. And God will give you the multitude of the right people. You don't want just people. You want the right people in the right seats in your life. And you know, people that surround you that want to be in the kingdom of God, so in the way of God. That's so important. Amen, Pam. Verse 29, he who is slow to anger. Oh, so this is kind of coming back on what we were talking about, you know, your passion, being in control of your passion, using it for good, um, having it work for you. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. Yes. I remember when I was a boy with everything that had gone on with my family, with my dad leaving and just the betrayal and all that stuff. Pam, I felt angry. Yeah. Angry to the point where it was boiling over and I was seething. Yeah. That kind of (laughs) anger. And it was an anger that would lead to injustice in my life. It would be an anger that would lead probably to lawlessness and um, rebellion toward God. Yeah. But going to God's word, Father God stepped in with his truth and helped turn my anger and help give me understanding so I could bring it, not just kind of like suppress it and short circuit it, but that I could move it into justice and use my anger as a motivation to even help other people, to be angry at injustice, to be angry at what hurts other father-son relationships. Like I get angry about father-son relationships being damaged by lies and by deceit and by the work of the devil. It makes me angry. So I want to do something about it. But I've learned from this word right here that makes it so clear. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. Well, God has given me understanding about why I hate that injustice and then how to harm Harness that passion and use it to help people. But he who is hasty of spirit exposes and exalts his folly. Well, there's just not enough time to go into my experiences of time when I was hasty of spirit. When I'm hasty of spirit... I waste money when I'm hasty of spirit. I waste passion and time and waste effort. Yeah, so true. But verse 30 kind of goes right along with this. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. Ooh, that's good. But envy, jealousy, and wrath are rottenness of the bones. We have a good friend, Dr. Don Colbert, New York Times bestselling author. You got to get his stuff if you haven't heard it. He tells us in his practice that he's seen this over and over again. Usually for every disease, there's a root of something that has weakened the body and caused rottenness of bones and disease. Pam, he tells a story of a beautiful woman that came to him many years ago. She had a crippling arthritis that was setting in, and he said she was still walking and moving and active but she was just complaining about this arthritis in her hands and how painful it was. And he right away, when he got to talk to her, discerned that she had a problem with her ex-husband. Apparently, she had come home one day and caught her husband in bed with another woman, in fact, a friend of hers. The bitterness and the unforgiveness that set in and pain that set in and unforgiveness. And so he told her, he said, I can help you right away, but we need to get rid of this unforgiveness. And she looked him in the eye and said, I will never, ever forgive him 
and her. Never. Dr. Don was like, but we can't deal with this arthritis unless we get rid of that. And she said, listen to me, I will never, ever forgive him. And so because of that, Pam, he said over the next few years, he said this beautiful woman, her hands curled up. She was put in a wheelchair. Like arthritis overtook her whole being. It was awful. When you read this, there's the duality of both sides of it. You said a calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. This is why it's so important. Like I said, in your mind, in your thinking, set your thinking. You set your thinking. Right. That means you've got to get rid of unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy. You've got to get rid of them. You're saying, well, Stephen, how do I do it? This happened to me. This family member did this to me. My friend, with God, all things are possible. That's right. You bring all this stuff to the cross. You can do this. You can let go of it. You can forgive. You can do this because Christ has forgiven me and you. Christ has saved us and redeemed us from the curse. So it may seem impossible but you can do this in Christ Jesus. And then this is what happens. Pam just read a calm and undisturbed mind. It will actually fuel your immune system. Yeah. Right, Pam? That's like true. It will fuel your youth renewal. Psalm 103 verse six, I think it is. It says that he satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, what does he ultimately satisfy our mouth with? We've been reading through the book of Proverbs with right words, delightful words. And those words are generated from right things thinking, from God thinking, from the mind of Christ. So this is so exciting. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are life and health of the body. You can't have a good night's sleep without a calm and undisturbed mind. And don't lock yourself in and believe the enemy's lies that you cannot have a calm and undisturbed mind. You can have it because you have a judicial right to the mind of Christ. Quit saying my mind is racing. I can't control it. We can't say that anymore. I mean, I know in the past I've said that. Stop saying that. Put your hand on your head right now and say this. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I bring my thoughts. I bring my thoughts. Into alignment. Into alignment. With the thinking of Christ. With the thinking of Christ. With the word of God. With the word of God. With the very thoughts of my God. With the very thoughts of my God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You're the master of your mind. You are the, the boss of your thinking. You can and have a right to bring your thinking into alignment with God's thoughts. But you need to be exercising your words to do that. You need to be exercising your authority, your royal kingly authority over your thinking and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus. This is what your weapons are for. This is what the weapons of your warfare are, to cast down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus. Verse 31, he who oppresses the poor reproaches, mocks, and insults his maker. Oh man, I don't want to get on the side of that. But he who is kind and merciful to the needy honors God. You know, I want to go back again. We can do great things. We can operate in the gifts of what the Holy Spirit gives us. We can pray and we can worship in song. But if we're unwilling to, after we leave that place, be kind and merciful, we're not truly honoring God. So if we really want to honor God, because it says when we honor God, God honors us. Yeah, it's true. So here's the way, here's the process. We have to be kind and merciful and not mock people. 32, the wicked is overthrown through his wrongdoing and calamity, but the consistently righteous have hope and confidence even in death. Wow. The wicked is overthrown through his wrongdoing. Well, you know, this has been the theme through this chapter. You perform wickedness, you indulge in wickedness, well, you end up eating the fruit of wickedness, which the word says is calamity. Yeah. But the consistently righteous has hope and confidence even when they're finished with this life. That has to be encouraging to someone today. Even when they're finished being in this earth suit and their time is done and they've decided, you know what, I'm going to be with Jesus and enjoy my eternal reward. Even in that, it says that they have hope and confidence. Wow, that's beautiful. You better believe it. Verse 33, wisdom rests silently in the mind and heart of him who has understanding. But that which is in the inward parts of the self-confident fool is made known. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that says it all. I think it does. (laughs) 34, uprightness and right-seeming with God, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relationship, elevate a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. You know, we're seeing across the world, people who make up communities, towns, cities, states, countries, territories, people that choose God's rightness, his way of thinking and doing things, the nation is elevated. 
It's a spiritual principle. Every single time when they go against God's principles, eventually the country, the situation, the county, the state, the whatever, the community, it seems to go down. Not only economically, but in every area, crime, everything. Look at countries in the Middle East. Look at Cuba. Look at Venezuela. You know, Venezuela, probably one of the wealthiest countries in the world for natural resources. And because they've turned their back from their government, turned their back on God's way of doing things and God's way of governing and pursued a socialistic, anti-God way of ruling. Look at what's happened to them. I mean, they're just bringing on destruction and they're a reproach to their very people. Their people loathe their leaders because they've brought such poverty and ruin on them. And they have all this wealth. People think, well, if only we had wealth, then we'd be wealthy. That's not true. It's anti-Bible. You can have all this wealth, but if you hold it in contempt of wisdom and of understanding. But that's the part so many people miss. All it ends up doing is exasperating and amplifying the very inner poverty that you carry in the inside, which ultimately is rooted in a hatred of God and his principles, a hatred of wisdom. We've all heard of people who got an inheritance or something of a great sum, and many of them have gone on to multiply it for good. Just really do great things in the world and in people's lives and in your family's life. On the other hand, we've heard of people that have got big inheritance suddenly, but it did nothing but destroy them, their community. They used it for wrong and not good. And years later, they're in utter destruction. The family didn't go forward. It didn't bless anybody. It actually was a tool of destruction instead of blessing. It's like I've heard you say so many times, your inner reality becomes your outer reality. This all comes down to what are we going to submit ourselves to, God's way of thinking or the world's way of thinking? And we can't submit ourselves to God's way of thinking if we don't understand how he thinks. And that is why we're going through the word of God to try to get an understanding. You know, I love Psalms 1. 19130 it says it's the entrance and unfolding of God's word that brings light that's the amplified version and that's what we desire to do through the life talk podcast and through our master classes and our TV shows is to unfold God's goodness his way of thinking and doing things so we can choose to walk in it and see increase not only in our life our family's life our friends life but our community our cities our nation our sphere of influence I'm talking about a nation. You know, it says here that uprightness elevates a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That makes me think of when we have voting, when we have elections, people often talk, you hear it in the news, it's about the economy. But if they're voting strictly for money and with that agenda is things like the protection of unborn, Mm -hmm. protection of the elderly, the protection of humanity as it's outlined by God's word. If we're voting strictly based on money, but with no concern for the platform when it comes to abortion and people's, you know, taking care of the elderly or taking care of vets and, you know, that kind of thing. If we're voting that way and we're voting against God, let me tell you something. I don't care how brilliant your economists are. This country is going to fail. Yeah. Sin is a reproach to any people, and God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Verse 35, the king's favor is toward a wise and discreet servant. Let me say that again. The king's favor is toward a wise and discreet servant, but his wrath is against him who does shamefully. Don't be doing the shameful thing and then wondering why wrath and consequences seem to chase you everywhere you go. Once again, the benefits of being wise, the benefits of walking in God's wisdom. Let's say a word of prayer as we've been just indulging in God's word. God's been downloading heavenly revelation for us to walk in and to make us stronger and to make us bolder. So let's come to Jesus and pray the word right now. Father, we thank you that we can have a calm and undisturbed mind and heart and that it will be life and health to Mm -hmm. our body. Mm -hmm. Father, we're thankful that it will raise the effectiveness of our immune system even as we meditate on the Word of God. We're inclined, Lord God, to be thankful for the oxen even in spite of the maintenance which requires us to clean out the stall. (laughs) Father, we've got that kind of attitude that we know that with much increase, there's going to be some cleanup work, Mm -hmm. which means 
that we're happy about process. We delight in it because we got our eyes on the kingdom increase that you're bringing into our life. God, we don't mock sin. We don't scoff and we don't mock sin. We know that seed and we want the harvest of blessing. So Lord, we sow the seeds of blessing. And Father God, we even sow the seeds of kindness and mercy toward those Mm -hmm. who have less than us, who are poor, Lord, who are lacking so that we help others. Yes. Thank you, Father, for that. Yes. Even when it comes to our passion, we don't just foam up quickly and we don't just react, but we respond. We harness those passionate feelings and we channel them. Lord, even according to your word, we know how to be angry and sin not. Mm -hmm. We don't foam up quickly and just react, but we harness those passionate feelings and we put them into an obedient surrender to your word and your will. We seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, and all these things are added unto us. And there's a time, Father, when wisdom just rests in our heart and mind. We hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, the voice of a stranger we won't follow, but we are led by the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you that we can practice the reverential fear and awe of the living God. And there is so much confidence, protection, direction. There are fountains of life in the presence of God. In the presence of God, Your word says that there is fullness of joy and at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. We pray that for every one of our dear friends listening. Thank you. I pray the fullness of joy Mm -hmm. and the pleasures that come from being in the awesome presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So good to be with you. Now, just remember to go on to our website. Sign up for The Living Room. It's a growing community of people from all over the world that come together, not only online, but come together in an intimate way, even in live events and different things. It's a community of people that's growing. It's precious. And you can sign up for reminders about the TV show or maybe Maybe you're interested in radio or in-depth study material that we provide online, master classes that are going to be coming up that you can download and get wisdom and understanding even more for your life. And there life. could be some new music that There's you want to get a hold of. some new worship collection songs. That's right. Don't forget, friends, you, you are, are born, born to win. Thanks for listening to Stephen and Pam Marshall. To receive more information or more teaching, go to www.stephenandpam.com. Stephen and Pam Ministries is a 501c3 charitable organization and your gift helps us to take this message to 1,000 communities worldwide.